0: amen we'll just shut that computer off we'll leave the screens off for the morning here and uh we'll just because i can't compete if that's doing something different than i'm saying (laughs) i cannot compete with that so i just hope that whatever is affecting that affects all you folks that did not silence your cell phones and it puts those on mute somehow and um, i'm even in the dark up here a little bit and that's going to be okay Uh, if you are a visual learner and you can't do well without the slides I apologize. Um, Maybe the person next to you taking notes, look at their notes every once in a while, and that can be your visual aid as we go. But we are going to continue our study in the book of Acts. As we look at the end of this story, I think very clearly as I studied through it that the one who penned this for us, Dr. Luke, who was present for quite a bit of it, I think that there are some specific applications that we're going to take from this section today. I um, am thinking that there are going to be maybe half a dozen applications. And I know that many of you, as you come into this place, you might be carrying a specific burden on your shoulders. There might be something that is weighing heavy on you, or maybe you're just in a unique place in life. And so there might be another application. We're going to flesh out at least a few um, applications from this, and I hope that we are being true to the text of what's going on here. But I want to stop one more time and pray and ask God for his clear involvement. So if you are still distracted by the blinking Lights, this is your shot to press the reset button figuratively, and uh, for you to tune in right now to God's Word and what the Holy Spirit wants to do as we open that together. Let's pray. Precious Father, we would ask that you would calm us, calm any distraction, calm anything that would pull us away from the learning of your Word for what the Holy Spirit has prepared with the individuals that are coming to this place with different personalities and different life stories and different thoughts, and you know that. You know us better than we know ourselves. Would you please allow us to look at this example in the scriptures of what the Apostle Paul went through and be able to apply it right to our own life, even today and this coming week. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a couple stories. I'm going to start with one, and then I'll come back to the second one in a little bit. Because I think that as we go through life, there's a combination of what we face in this world and what we see in God's Word. So as you are studying God's Word, you're going to see things in your life that remind you of that. And on the other side, equally, I think you're going to see things in your life, and then you're going to study God's Word, and you're going to see some things that remind you of that. It's a beautiful place to be when you're constantly asking God to be teaching you. And then he brings these situations in life where you have a choice to maybe be bold, to maybe learn. Maybe you'll go through a situation where you have regrets. Both of the stories that I want to tell you go to a co-worker that I was with. They're two different fellows. But uh, before I came up to Michigan Five years ago, I was in um, Champaign, Illinois, and I worked at a church there as an assistant pastor, and the kids were young, and I was able to take on a second job um, at FedEx, and many of you are familiar with that. When I first started there at FedEx, I was loading boxes in a trailer, and it gave opportunity oftentimes, don't be distracted. (laughs) I know, I know it's hard. I'll move around as much as I can. As I was, uh, had the opportunity to be loading boxes next to a coworker one day, the topic of religion came up, and I know some don't like the word religion. That's okay, you don't have to like it, you don't have to use it, but you're probably not going to take it away from the rest of the people around you. And as I was loading boxes next to an individual, everybody there knew that I was a Christian, and they knew that I was a pastor. I want to say something in a little bit about that, that you should not be hiding this fact that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's going to open up opportunities for you, whether you're ready for it or not. If people know that you follow Jesus Christ, it's going to open up some opportunities. This individual got next to me and we're working side by side, and he knew that I worked at a church and very quickly, he let me know what his thoughts were on that because he told me, he said, well, you know, I really don't think that it's right for parents to make their kids have this kind of religion without letting them choose for themselves. To force a belief system on your kids, I just don't think it's right. And, you know, that's a very, I think, American thing to say if you think about it. If you think about that it sounds very good it sounds like freedom doesn't it not forcing your beliefs on someone and i'm thankful that the holy spirit led in that conversation and i was able to give a response that was something to this effect i said you know i I really i don't disagree with you that there needs to be a representation from a lot of different um things but having said that i think that every individual that grows up in any home is going to eventually make that choice for themselves So when someone gets to be 16, 18, 22, they're going to choose for themselves whether they follow Jesus Christ or whether they're going to go and seek somewhere else for answers to their life. And it makes me think of the struggles that individuals will face with this question. How much do I force my faith on people around me? And deeper than that, how much do I force my faith on my family? Should you force your faith on your family? I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud because some would, some would shake your head one way and some would shake your head the other. Because is there a benefit to forcing your faith? Is there something to be said for kids that grow up completely surrounded by people that follow Jesus Christ and, and ones that would point them to Jesus Christ? Is there something that is attractive about raising them to think that maybe Jesus Christ is the answer, but you need to be open to all of these things? These are not easy issues to deal with. I talk to parents on a regular basis that will say something to this effect Well, I want my kid to be able to choose for himself what he believes. And I understand what they're saying there. And as I get into it, and I've got a couple that I'm influencing and trying to raise and my heart would weep that they would choose to follow the Savior that saved me and loves me, and I cannot force them. I cannot make them do that. They will choose for themselves, but I have to ask myself, with what I have been given in the area of influence that I have, how am I going to use that? What am I going to do with the position that I have, the influence that I have? You know, there are some who really hate the idea of brainwashing the next generation. That idea of brainwashing is such a dirty word. And I would suggest to you that each one of us needs to go through and decide how we are going to choose what we're going to influence another with. Should we be narrow-minded in what we teach? And here's a common question that can be asked. How much do we pressure our children or even those that are around us that we have influence with to our faith. Because every one of us is going to choose what message we're going to send to the folks we interact with. That's kind of a takeaway line there. You're going to have a message that you send to people that you are with. And kind of let you know right now, it is very easy to make that message just you're somebody good to get along with, you don't stir the pot, you don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. You don't want to bring up things that might be awkward for anyone. And so I would ask you, with those in your family and with those who you're neighbors with and you work with, how much are you persuading someone? And I think that if, as you look at the area of influence that you have, I want to pull right out of our text today, I want to pull three things that Dr. Luke records that I think we see Paul doing one that we see one thing that we see is he is explaining he's explaining another thing that we see is Paul is living his beliefs and the third thing that we see is he is asking them a question will you follow my god all right all of that is introduction to bring us to our text if you're not already there turn to acts chapter 28 the very last chapter in the book of acts acts 28 And as we turn there, we are going to see this um, interesting ending to the life of the Apostle Paul. We'll spend one more season in Acts 28 next week. But this is going to be the bulk of the end of our time um, with several verses that we're going to see. As we find the Apostle Paul, and uh, just for review, we understand that he has just gotten through this storm at sea. And then they had a shipwreck, and they waited three months on Malta, and then now they finally get to leave Malta after the winter months and get on another ship and head to Rome. Julius uh, packs, or go ahead and books them fare to get on another ship to complete the journey. And Paul had known that he was going to go to Rome because God said so. And so this group with the Apostle Paul, they travel from harbor to harbor until they eventually meet uh, meet at Rome. And as they're at Rome, before they get there, They have one time where they interact with some Christians. They were encouraged by this, we will see. And it had been a while since Paul was encouraged by believers. Let's go ahead and start at verse number 11 of Acts 28, and I'll read down through 16. Acts 28, starting in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days and from there we're made, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium and after one day a south wind sprang up and on the second day we came to Putioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there when they heard about us came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. All right, let's talk about that just for a moment. They were encouraged by some believers that they found, and here we find that's a blessing for us, is that there are believers everywhere. I'm going to let you know something that perhaps you've not encountered yet. No matter where you go in this world, with very few exceptions, you go somewhere else in America, you go somewhere else in the civilized world, you will be able to seek out and to find other believers. You can do that. And it's a blessing because sometimes we get in this bubble right here in our area, and we kind of get set in this way, and we forget that God's plan is reaching out across the world. Not too long ago, I was able to be blessed by going to a conference um, down in Ohio. And typically when I go to a pastor's conference, I will come across someone that I went to college with or I ministered in an area with, and so I always have my head up high and I'm looking for someone that I know. And I was surprised to find just um, a couple people that I'd actually known looking at the sea of men that were walking through this pastor's conference and looking for someone that I knew. And I walked away with this blessing of these hundreds and hundreds of pastors and lay ministers that were serving there and that were being encouraged there. They were all in some place doing the same work that we are doing here in our area. We need to be blessed by the fact that there are believers everywhere. We can go somewhere. We've got one from our church that has just gone to China And as they went all the way over there to this place that is hostile to the gospel, there are a couple different churches that they can choose to go to. And so we should be encouraged by the fact that we are not alone. We can go and find believers in different places. When we come to verse 16 of Acts 28, we find that Paul is allowed to stay in private living quarters. And if I can fast forward just a little bit, he's there for two years. The captain that was watching after uh, Paul knew that he was different knew that it was safe to leave him. He would not try to escape. And so it was wonderful that he did not have to stay in a dark prison, but he could stay in some private living quarters at his own expense. But a soldier would have to stay with him. Paul finally makes it to Rome. The population of Rome at this time is about 2 million people, which is huge in that day. And just so you know, the population of that 2 million, about half of them were slaves. Half of the 2 million were slaves And about half of them were free. We're going to talk about one of those slaves in a little bit. But we find that he finally gets there and we find that he looks at the place where he's at and he makes the most of it. If you're taking notes, um, put down meeting number one there. Meeting number one. He meets with the Jewish leaders in Rome and this is meeting number one. We'll start in verse 17 for this. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, but because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar." For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So here we find meaning number one that the Apostle Paul has with the Jewish leaders in Rome. Paul introduces himself. He lets them know who he is, how he got arrested, how the Romans wanted to let him go, but the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem would not let it be. And so he had to appeal to Caesar. Since he was a Roman citizen, he could do this. And then he mentions something there. The Apostle Paul mentions it's because of the hope of Israel that I am here. You need to understand that this is a very strategic thing to say. This is something that is true. It was why he had been arrested and was able to go to Rome to appeal to Caesar. But it was also something that was going to resonate with his audience. He mentions the hope of Israel. And they've not heard of him before here in Rome, but they did hear of this message. And everything they'd heard about the message was bad, right? It was negative, these ones that followed Jesus Christ. And Paul, I love the fact that he does not defend himself, except for the charges that have come against him. Or he gets to the point where he says, I'm not guilty of this. I've not done this. And so he's defending himself against those charges, but what he's not doing is he's not... I can use this term he's not filing a countersuit does that make sense so often today people when they get charged of something they want to make a countersuit even in the newspapers you'll see this someone is getting sued for something and it's kind of like oh yeah you want to sue me for something well I'll file a countersuit and Paul very much so says the Jewish leaders Have accused me of this, but I hold nothing against my nation. Look at it there in verse 19. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation. So understand that he has an audience that he's speaking with. And he's not telling them, I've got a problem with you guys. He doesn't have a problem with with the Jews. He considers himself to be a completed Jew because he followed Jesus Christ. And as he meets with them for this first meeting... They wanted a second meeting. You need to understand what Paul does not say this first time they get together. He does not come in and just blow them away with everything he knew. Did the Apostle Paul have a fairly impressive grasp on so much of Christianity? Yes or no? Yes. But he knows his audience, and he does not just let it all out there in that one shot. He understands the audience that is there He understands what to tell them. And if you will, he wets their palate for this. He makes them thirsty for something in this first meeting. He doesn't put it all out there. He doesn't offend. And very clearly, he makes them want something because they want to come back. They wanted to have a second meeting. And can I suggest to you this? Of course they wanted to have a second meeting. If you're putting yourself in these individuals' shoes, these Jews, the hope of Israel, any hope they had was dashed years ago when this one Jesus came up. And it looked like he might be some great zealot, a military leader that would lead them away from the persecution and captivity of the Romans. But Jesus died. And so the hope of Israel that they would think of, it wasn't there in Jesus. In fact, they would go right to that Old Testament scripture that says, cursed is any man that hangs on a tree. It couldn't be Jesus. Paul mentions the hope of Israel. They wanted this. They wanted it so desperately. Everything they had learned in the Old Testament pointed them to have a hope for their people, and they had not seen a Messiah yet. And so, of course, they wanted another meeting with him. For them, the hope of Israel was something that they longed for, but it was missing. I have opportunity every once in a while to go to a garage sale. I'm not a professional garage seller. I know some people that are. Some folks get excited about garage sales. Any, any of you get excited about garage sales, really get excited? All right, I see a few hands there. All right. Some people get goose pimples, and they talk about it for days ahead of time. They're going to hit this, this neighborhood over here that they've got all kinds of great stuff. I like to go in garage sales in my neighborhood because it gives me a connection with my neighbors oftentimes. In fact, I was in the hospital visiting someone just a couple weeks ago, and as I walked into the hospital, there was a neighbor standing right there, and they recognized me, and they said, yeah, you bought something at the garage sale at my house, didn't you? And I was going to the next bed over, and I said, yes, I bought a tennis racket from them. When I look to buy something from a garage sale, sometimes it's useful and good. Sometimes it might not be that great. Um, but there's one thing that I never buy from a garage sale. You will never get me to purchase from a garage sale. I will never buy a jigsaw puzzle from a garage sale. You'll never get me to do it. Can you guess why I will not buy a jigsaw puzzle from a garage sale? Of course you can. Can you imagine going through the effort and the time, and for some of us it's more effort than others, to put together that puzzle and then to come to the end and there's a piece missing? Oh, can you ima- Has anybody ever put together a puzzle and you were missing one piece, anybody? Oh, my goodness. I, I did not mean to bring up any, you know, tear a Band-Aid off an of old wound or anything today. I won't do it. I will not purchase a used jigsaw puzzle. Garage sale or second-hand store, I won't do it. I cannot imagine going through all of that and having a missing piece. The Apostle Paul understood that these Jews had something missing in their life. The hope of Israel was the Lord Jesus Christ who came down to this earth, was born in Bethlehem, grew up and died on a cross for the sins of the world. And he did not stay in that tomb, but he rose from the dead to conquer death and conquer sin sin for you and I. That is the hope. That is the missing piece. And he knew that they needed this in their lives. Of course they wanted a second meeting. Can I suggest today that some of you have all kinds of pieces of the puzzle put together, but you might be missing a piece. That piece of Jesus Christ, and by saying that piece of Jesus Christ, I don't just mean that you have an understanding of who he is, but that you have him as part of your life. And not just a part of your life, but as the head of your life. Jesus Christ preeminent in everything that you do. That is what you need to walk in this world and to have success and to have peace and to have joy and to be able to hold on to him in the eye of the storm. That is what we need. And he knew they needed this. so, of course, they wanted a second meeting. Let's look at that second meeting starting in verse 23 as Paul finishes up what he has to say. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. Don't miss this. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. What was that statement that made some of them leave? The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet go to this people and say you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and with their eyes they can barely or with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. We find in this second meeting that Paul has with the Jewish leaders, he explains the scriptures from morning until evening, he convinces them from the Old Testament. That's where the authority was. And it's, it's, it's easy for us sometimes to think that where God has us, we can't be used. You need to remind yourself of where Paul is here. He's under arrest. He has a chain that is always with him that he can show. That chain he refers to on a regular basis through his writings. And sometimes we think to ourselves, with where I am today, what in the world could God possibly do with me? How could I be used in some effective way for our God? I want to challenge you to look at the chains of the Apostle Paul and look at this room that he was in. And can I challenge you with the audience that he had? He had the Jewish leaders that came in. He would have servants come in. He would have slaves that he would interact with. And he also had Roman soldiers. He understood that even being under arrest and even being chained to a guard, he was able to have an impact where he was. And can I suggest to you that you can too. No matter who you are, what season of life you're in, whether it seems like you don't impact that many people, or whether it seems like there's no way in the world you could possibly squeeze another minute into your schedule, to allow God to be preeminent in your life means that you're going to see what he's doing, what door he is opening And Paul saw that very much. You know, Paul was an incredible teacher. He's an incredible communicator. And anyone who studies the New Testament sees through his writings what he was able to do. And I have to imagine that he was there, stuck in this rented place. And as he's trying to communicate, he was writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he wants to give them this warning about the enemy about the devil? How can I communicate to these ones about our enemy? How, how, can I, how can I let them know that they have to guard against the attacks of the devil? And as Paul would sit there under arrest and glance, I think, at that Roman soldier who was dressed up with his shield and had his sword, had his protection. That's it. Put on the whole armor of God. And sitting there in that place, he was able to write the book of Ephesians. And God would use that, and we are blessed by that today. You know, I find myself trying to find good illustrations to connect us to the lesson that we're going to learn from God's word. Sometimes it comes from real life. Sometimes from something that I've read before. And imagine him writing those words, Put on the whole armor of of God. And during the, that time there in, in jail, in that, um, un, under arrest, he wrote the book of Ephesians. When he was under arrest, he wrote the book of Philippians. And if we had to narrow down the book of Philippians to one word representing its theme, we'd say it's a book that talks about joy when he was under arrest. He wrote the book of Colossians while he was under arrest at this time, a church that he had not been to, a church in Colossae. And faithful pastor Epaphras comes and says, You've got to help me. These people, they're getting off track. And so he writes the book of Colossians while he's under arrest. And he also writes the book of Philemon because he met a slave named Onesimus who came to Christ. And so he intercedes and he writes to Philemon, the slave owner, and he says, You've got to cut this guy some slack. You need to forgive him. I know he ran away. And you and I need to understand that God has something for us to do in the place where he has us, even if it feels like a place where you can't do anything. Dig deep. Understand what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 where God tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in your life in weakness for when I am weak, then I am strong. So understand if you're feeling weak or you're feeling like he can't use you in some way or there's something that's been put against you in your life, that's exactly what God wants to use to display his power. I mentioned that as Dr. Luke recorded this for us, there was um, a, a threefold way of communicating that he had with these people. It's right there in verse 23 if you want to look at it again. We find in verse 23 that the Apostle Paul takes time to explain and to testify and to persuade. If you're taking notes, write down those three words. Explaining, testifying, and persuading. We take these and we apply them right to our own lives today. And just for an encouragement to you, the Apostle Paul, with as good as he was at it, had some believe and some not believe. He mentioned that G word again, Gentile. And some would never listen to him again, I imagine. But some came to Christ. And what I think is important and how I want to apply how we started the message with today is Paul does not leave them in a neutral way. As he presents Jesus Christ to them as the hope of Israel, and he tells them, you need to choose this. You need to have this as part of your life. He does not leave them with a message of neutrality. And so every one of you has to decide now what you're going to do with the influences that you have. With those lives that you would touch, with individuals that would come to you and talk to you because they know you go to church or that you're religious in some way, can I give you this challenge not to necessarily blab it all out right there necessarily, but to work in a way where you are going to be able to challenge them with this idea that Jesus is not just one road to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way to have eternal life, to have forgiveness. And if you are not getting to that conclusion, then you are falling short. We cannot be neutral about this, we have to allow ourselves to a very effectively and very seriously take people to that place. And the Apostle Paul reminds them of what Isaiah said about the Jews. What he predicted before Jesus was even born. That the Jews would have their eyes closed to the gospel. And they would have their ears shut off. And that would be for a season. If you want some deeper study from this, go to Romans chapter 11 where you'll see God's plan for Israel to once again be grafted in with the completed church someday. So Paul does not leave them in a neutral place. He brings them to a place where they have to decide. And can I suggest to you, if you're scared to do this, don't be. And if you're afraid they're going to refuse you, don't be. It is likely that someone will not accept it until they have refused it a few times. So don't be scared to be that one that they say no to or that one that they go and talk to somebody else and say, yeah, that guy's narrow-minded. Don't be afraid to be that one. You need to be that one who's going to be complete in the message that you give. I told you I'd tell you two stories. Let me tell you one more as we close. I had another coworker there at FedEx, and I found myself a couple years after that first experience working side-by-side with my friend. My friend's name was Nick, and as I was there with Nick, he knew I was a, a minister at a church, and as we worked side-by-side, um, we'd have some seasons to be there and to be doing some stuff. Well, Nick uh, had a baby on the way, and he wanted to talk to me about this, and he had a legitimate question. He just said, how do, I get, how do I get our baby baptized into your church instead of baptized in the church that I grew up with? Because I'm not sure how to do that. You know, is there paperwork with that or is there a class? How can I get my baby baptized in your church? Well, immediately, and also knowing the limited time I had to talk about it, I didn't want to be offensive. Does, do, can you see the offense that could come with that? If I just let it all out there, blow him away? Shame on you for wanting to baptize your baby. Understand the danger that is there and understand the importance of being led by the Holy Spirit as we go through these things. And Nick was relentless with this. And he would come to me and say, how in the world do we get our baby baptized in your church? Because I like you. I think you're a stand-up guy. You're all right. How do we do that? And it finally came to the point where I had to say in a loving way, and I had a friendship already I had to say, I just don't see anywhere in the scriptures where someone gets baptized before they become saved. I might as well have been speaking German to him at that point. He had no idea what I was talking about. Before they get saved, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Oh, and then our job was done and we had to go to different places. I'll tell you what, his appetite was there. He wanted to know about this. He was one who was searching, and basically I told him no. You cannot have your baby baptized at the church that I go to because salvation is needed. Eventually, we started a Bible study. He asked about it. Can we talk about these things? If you do not have margin, listen, if you do not have margin in your life to be able to do those things, to have a Bible study, to take time to talk to someone, then you're too busy. If you do not have time to spend things that will last for eternity, you are too busy. And I know I am talking to many of you who would say, I couldn't possibly do anything else. I couldn't fit anything in. I'm not saying you got to do what I say, but I'm letting you know that God's going to bring people your way, and if you do not have any place in your life to take them to the gospel or to a Bible study, you're too busy. Cut things out. Allow there to be a place where you can be a part of bringing someone to the answers that they will need. And just to cut to the end, um, Nick who was living with his girlfriend, and I had talked with both of them, and um, laying there in bed one night, his girlfriend said to him, When are you going to get saved and, and do this? And he said to her, well, When are you going to get saved? And she said, I've already been saved. She wasn't living like it very well. And he had to come to the point where he had to say, Am I saved? He was searching, he wanted it, and he got saved, and he got baptized. I got to see him get baptized and we continue studying God's word and of course our paths have now separated and he's moved to different places and been promoted through the ranks. And it's my prayer that he has margin in his life that when someone comes to him and says, hey, I think you're a stand-up guy. What can you tell me about what you believe? Here are a couple points for us that I want us to take away. Number one, take very seriously the message that you present to those that you have connections with take very seriously the message that you leave with those that you have connections with and can i suggest to you that means this is going to be this is this is a huge step for some of you are you ready this means they need to know you're a christian the people around you need to know that you are a follower of jesus christ don't be in the secret service let it be known at a minimum go to them and i know this is hard at first But at a minimum, go to them and say, I just want to let you know, if you ever have any questions about the Bible or about religion, I'm willing to talk with you about that. Even if you don't know the answers, tell them that. Let them know that you're willing to work with them and talk with them about that. Take seriously the message that you give to them. And then number two, you need to copy Paul's threefold method of communicating to others about the gospel. We see there in verse 23 that he was explaining. This means that he knew the word of God. For some of you recently, we should have had kind of a celebration because we got the new daily breads in. Many of you use the daily breads. They're all across the country. They're all over the place. If you do not have some kind of a way of going through Bible study, your devotions, you need to. This is a great one. I hope we clean these out. This is for the months of September, October, and November. You don't have to use this, but use something. You see, the Apostle Paul was able to explain because he knew it. He dug deep. And if you want to have high-reaching branches in the place where you're at, you have to have deep, you have to have deep, deep roots. And so be taking in God's Word so that you can explain. And then be testifying. What does that mean? It says he was testifying there in verse 23. That means that he lived it. He walked the walk. And if I can preach just for a minute this morning, for some of you, that's going to be the step you need to take. You need to walk this walk. Because the folks who don't know Jesus Christ, they might not know the gospel or the message in John 3.16, but many of them who you interact with, they know how... A Christian is supposed to walk. And brother and sister, they see you. And they see me. And Paul would testify. He had the right to speak because he was living it. And if you need to take that step today, take it. Take it. Because that's how you'll be used in this world for our God. And then the third thing is persuading. Persuading. And that's the one we don't like in America. That word proselytizing. Sounds like a dirty word, doesn't it? I don't like it. I feel kind of weird saying it. Proselytizing. Persuading. Make sure you know. You're examining. You're explaining the scriptures. Make sure you're living it. But work to persuade. Let the individual know. Let your kids know. My heart breaks that you would follow my Jesus. Let them know that this is God's best for you. And if I can say this in the free country, in the pulpit that I have today, let them know that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. Everything else leads to separation from God forever in a place called hell. Let it be known that you're a Christian. And then if you want to have success, it means not failing to finish the message. We love the attributes of God, don't we? We study those. Some people will pray the attributes of God and thank God for this one. If you had to guess what you think was a favorite attribute that people would thank God for, what would come to your mind first? I think people love the fact that God is love. People love that. I love it too, and he is. But if you're going to be faithful in the message like the Apostle Paul was by quoting from Isaiah and by saying that the Jewish people would have their eyes closed, if you're going to be faithful with someone, don't let them walk away from that interaction, letting them know that God is not only love, but that God is just. This is why Jesus had to die to take upon himself the sins of the world. There had to be a punishment. And because God is love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, And God is just. And those who turn to him will be forgiven and will know him forever. And what a blessing that will be. And those who do not follow Jesus Christ will be cast out because God is just. And it's my prayer for you that you will see some that will turn to Jesus. And you will see some that will not turn to Jesus, but that you will have been faithful in explaining The apostle paul has been through so much here and can i suggest to you that as you look in the history of your own life and your own story i know there are some things in there that you might not even want to tell anybody but every one of those has set you up for are you ready this day everything in your story has set you up for this day to interact one reason we have been left in this world. Jesus Christ left the commission that we would tell others about this wonderful plan. And can I suggest to you, don't be in the secret service. Don't have to go and get your life cleaned up before you can actually talk to someone about your faith or your church. And don't leave the message short. Be working to persuade them. And don't give up, because it's likely that most of us here did not start to follow Jesus Christ at the first invitation or even the fourth invitation. Keep working and understand that God is the one who is watching over this and putting his hand of blessing as we are faithful and obedient to him. Let's pray. Loving Father and just God who will sit one day and judge the entire world, I thank you that I do not have to fear that day of standing before you I praise you that when you look upon me, you do not see my sins, but you see the shed blood of Jesus Christ because I have asked you for forgiveness. I praise you for that. But Heavenly Father, when I think of the future and think of a day when every last tear will be wiped away, I cannot help but think that some of those tears might come because we were not faithful in the place you put us. God, I would ask that you would work in our hearts And whether we have a few months left in this world or several years in this world, that you would allow us to put right at the front of our lives, of our speech, of our actions, what you've put us here in this place for. Thank you for the beautiful example of Paul. Allow us to follow his example as he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Joanna just to play, just a light song on the piano. i want to give you a chance to pray. I don't know what God has been working in your heart with today. Maybe you're not following Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you've got people that do not have the message that God offers. Take just a moment now to pray.